Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. Out in the land of the lakes lies a conference with 14 teams ready to scream that they can play with anyone in the land. They say, enough about the SEC, we're all about the B1G. And this year is a big chance to reclaim their prowess against any conference in the country. For the Buckeyes, the urban legend is gone, but Ryan Day brings hope for more good days on the field. And speaking of field, Justin Fields comes to CBUS, where he will try to prove he's better than Lawrence and Fromm. Oh, and he'll need to win, too. Michigan once again brings a stout D and hopes OSU's loss is their gain, looking for new offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis to be the piece they need to gain a piece of that postseason hardware. In East Lansing, they just need a healthy Brian Lewerke to get back to sophomore form and spark Sparty back into the thick of things in the Big Ten East because we know their defense will, once again, be a conference beast. Penn State won't be happy in the Valley until they reclaim the division and the conference title like they did in 2016. And if a quarterback, running back, and receiver can complement a nasty defense, this could be a sick team. Indiana should have the O, but the D needs to be on their A game if they want a shot at the East. Still, beware of the Hoosiers. Maryland got boosted by the transfer portal and a good round of recruits. But if they can't put all the parts together properly, they may find themselves moving at a turtle speed and racing to the top. And Rutgers hopes that from Ash rises a phoenix, or at least some sense of flight from one of their quarterbacks. The East plays seven, though many talk of just four, but only one will represent this division in Indy. Who will it be? Grab a bowl full of chips and find out next. I love it when you call me Big Chappie. Throw your hands in the air for your five-star players. That's right, we're rapping here on a bowl full of chips, but thankfully not in the musical sense, Bip. Nope, <laughs> we're going to rap Big Ten Football 2019. And this hits a little closer to home, literally, because as many of you know, Bipster and I live in the heart of Big Ten country. This is episode 45, so intros are getting to be redundant, but in this biz, you do it anyway, because we're hoping that many of you tuning in might be new listeners who are about to be turned on to the charms and quips of Chappie and the Bip. I am Chappie, your voice of choice, and with me is the witty of brotherly love, Bip. Bip, again, it feels like forever, and maybe because it's been a long but eventful week. How goes it, mi hermano? Yeah, that's, uh, that's about how we expect it. How's my, how's my Harbaugh there, Chappie? Oh, dude, that was spot on. That was spot on. <laughs> well, speaking of Harbaugh and, and awkward answers to questions, I heard that uh, you took a trip to Chicago for Big Ten Media Days. I did, my friend. It was, uh, you know, really was the is the chance that I was looking for a few years ago when I kind of got back into the media biz and, and college football writing for the Northwestern Wildcats. And so I was granted the opportunity to attend Big Ten Media Days, and I took full advantage of it. And got a little bit of uh, light in the sun and, and spot on TV. You could hear my voice asking Coach Fitzgerald at his podium stand a question which he directly answered and answered in class and, and understood what I was asking. And then the last speaker at the podium before Bill Carollo came on was the legendary Coach Jim Harbaugh, who I revered and looked up to as a player for the Chicago Bears and the Indianapolis Colts captain comeback. He was a hero of mine, shares the same birthday. But as a head coach at the University of Michigan, not only does he have a strike against him for coaching the maize and blue, but I asked him a question about whether you know they were picked to be Big Ten winners this year, and I asked him whether he thought that that was a good thing and he wanted to be picked at the top or whether he preferred to be the hunter as opposed to the hunted, and he basically took it in a different direction. So, um, <laughs> you know, basically... 
you know, it was a two-way mini conversation with me and Coach Harbaugh. And when I say two-way, I mean I was traveling the straight and narrow in my lane, and he was driving on the sidewalk in the opposite direction, seemingly blinded by glare in his own rearview mirror. So, <laughs> um, but it was it was an experience. It was a good story to tell. And you know, I did talk to great coaches like Pat Fitzgerald from Northwestern, Chris Ash from Rutgers, um, and and got to hear all the great things that these coaches and players and, and everyone around the Big Ten, including the guys from the Big Ten Network, even Reese Davis made an appearance there. It was really really cool. Uh, so, you know, being at these events, one, it reminds you that these guys we see and cheer or chastise on Saturdays and pads actually are real people and real students and very respectable and great representations of their schools, BIP, and their families and friends. Two, it was cool to see the work behind the scenes that go into things like the Big Ten Network and the quality production they put into their broadcasts with guys like Dave Revson, Jerry DiNardo, Howard Griffith, as well as a guy, like I mentioned, Reese Davis, who made a brief appearance in video output. But most importantly, number three, it gets us all even more amped up for the fall and the season kickoff in 38 days, BIP, 38 but that means we should get going on this Big Ten preview then, huh? Yes, sir. Just around the corner, so let's not delay anymore, Chappie. No, not at all. Let's let's give the fans what they, they've been clamoring for. So thanks again for joining us on A Bowl Full of Chips, the college football podcast that gives you the entertainment of an Ohio State offense, the preparation and execution of a Michigan defense, and the tight ends of an Iowa football team. <laughs> so here at BFC, we'll give you our opinions, but they're backed with reasoned judgment. Sometimes we get it right, and sometimes you think we are slightly off base. But in either, either case, use the talk of Twitter to share your agreements and aggravations. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC Bip. So give us a follow, and if you already do, share our handle with others so they can enjoy the riches. Visit our show's Twitter page on at Bowlful of Chips, where we post our website for a growing number of resources and bits of information, including lists, rankings, and our upcoming previews. We already did the SEC last week. We're currently doing the Big Ten tonight, and we're going to release in print a lot of other information that maybe we won't cover in depth and detail on the podcast here, but you can get it in print form. And rest assured that an easy domain name is still in the works. So soon, hopefully, we will just throw out our web domain, bfc.com or whatever it might be. But bear with us as we're getting that all ironed out. You can also find links to our previous podcasts on our website and contact us at bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. So again, tonight is the Big Ten preview, 2019. How are the teams, the 14 teams in and around the Great Lakes and then inexplicably out in New Jersey and Maryland, um, how are they going to do this season? So, Biff, we're going to start with you. We're going to start with the East. Let's hear from you. Who's going to take first place in that coveted and competitive Big Ten East division? Well, Chappie, in the East, I like the Ohio State Buckeyes to take first. And I have them going 12-0 in the regular season. Uh, and also winning the Big Ten Championship game. And looking into uh, their squad from for uh, 2019, Garner, Dwayne Haskins, Tate Martell, and Matthew Baldwin from the quarterback position. But obviously you enter Justin Fields, thought of, uh, thought of by some as actually more talented than Trevor Lawrence in last year's freshman class as they were entering um, school as, as true freshmen. So how good Fields is is going to go a long way towards whether the Buckeyes are a playoff contender or just a Big Ten contender. But he's going to be helped out in the fact that he's got lots of talent uh, all around him. Uh, the Buckeyes lost uh, a decent amount at receiver, losing Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, and Johnny Dixon, but they do have uh, a ton returning as far as talent and uh, experience as they get K.J. Hill uh, back this year as he finished last year with over 850 receiving yards, and he's going to be joined by Austin Mack, Garrett Wilson, Benjamin Victor, and Chris Olave, who really broke out against Michigan and Northwestern um, in their last two games of the Big Ten season last year, uh, Big Ten championship game included. And a lot of people, I think, are kind of maybe forgetting about J.K. Dobbins and how special he could be. I think the fact that they that they lose Mike Weber um, hurts in a certain regard, but it could really allow Dobbins to shine as that true feature back. I like him to uh, challenge maybe for the Doak Walker Award this year um, with uh, considering how much he, talent that he's got around him as well, knowing that he's going to be the number one um, in Columbus. Defensively, mm. they return a lot more um, than they do off offensively, especially in the secondary where they lose Kendall Sheffield, but they return just about everyone else and could have the best secondary in the conference. That defensive line took a hit, uh, obviously losing Nick Bosa, Draymond Jones, although 
they played most of the year without Bosa, but any defensive line that has Chase Young is going to be a uh, dangerous one, and he looks mm-hmm. to build upon last year in which he recorded nine and a half sacks. They'll also have Jonathan Cooper, Tyreek Smith rotating at the other defensive end spot, and the team adds uh, stud true freshman Zach Harrison, who could make an impact as a uh, pass rusher this year as a uh, true fresher, true freshman for the Buckeyes. The linebackers, uh, they return all three starters who all registered at least seven and a half tackles for loss last year, and they have great depth with guys like Baron Browning and Brennan White potentially competing for starting spots despite the fact that they return everyone from last year. So the Buckeyes, um, they have two non-conference opponents that don't it wouldn't seem too daunting a couple years ago, but don't sleep on those opponents as. Florida Atlantic and Cincinnati, they're both in Columbus, but both opponents have the potential to give the Buckeyes a scare if they don't show up. They also have a tough matchup at Nebraska um, in week five, I believe it is, before uh, Michigan State comes to town. They then have a bye before traveling to Evanston to play at Northwestern and a home game at Wisconsin. And coming out of their second bye, they have Maryland and Rutgers, which shouldn't be much of a, a test for them, but they do have a home game against Penn State and then visit Ann Arbor to finish off the season against the Wolverines. So the schedule looks kind of tough for Ohio State due to the the toughest opponents continually being back-to-back. Um, and we know that the Buckeyes have had a stumbling block, block each of the last two seasons against lesser competition. So um, can they avoid that uh, that stumble this year, especially as the transition from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day gets underway? Uh, not only that, but transitioning to what is essentially a, a redshirt freshman in Justin Fields, seeing as how he didn't see the field much last year at Georgia. Um, I think the defense is going to be much improved, especially with the fact that they get Greg Madison coming over um, and, and have Ryan Halfley uh, filling in as the co-defensive coordinators. And I think that offense is once again going to be one of the best in the Big Ten and route to, as I mentioned, an undefeated season and a Big Ten championship. Yeah, I've got a couple things about Ohio State. First of all, you mentioned that Justin Fields by, is considered by some to be more talented than Trevor Lawrence, or at least coming into last season. And can I ask you, why do you think that was, Bip? What, what do you think separates Justin Fields from Trevor Lawrence? Well, and, and let me put the caveat that people thought that he was more talented going into last year. I don't think right. anyone well, thinks think that, that. Yeah, I think it's it's first and foremost the fact that he's dangerous as a runner. Okay, um, and I and think I, in and I think in this Ryan Day offense, he could have some success. Right, and he definitely has a talented arm. I think that that's really where people see him as almost like a Superman. They see him as mm-hmm. a dual threat. But right. sometimes, as football fans, we get caught up, and anytime you see a guy can run, mm-hmm. automatically he just elevates to be this untouchable, outstanding quarterback. And you know, clearly last year, when you look at the national championship matchup, Trevor Lawrence versus Tua Tungavailoa slash Jalen Hurts, Tua and um, you know Jalen were were better on their feet or with their feet or allowed to do more with their feet than than Trevor Lawrence was. But I would take Trevor Lawrence a hundred times out of a hundred over any other quarterback in college football. So I'm not going to argue that Justin Fields is not a talent, but. He's got to show me something because last year we really only saw him in the game at Georgia when it was a designed run or when, you know, he was allowed to tuck it and use his feet because it wasn't really in pressure crunch time situations necessarily. In the spring game, I wasn't overly impressed. The big play that he showed was a 40-yard pass in the air when a defender made a a horrendous uh, attempt at trying to tackle a receiver at his feet he fell the receiver caught it on an underthrown ball and then ran it the other 55 yards for a touchdown score so I'm not slapping Justin Fields in the face but you know again I think that this may be a case of a little bit more hype than what he's warranted right now and he could come and prove me wrong I think that you're right they're they're going to put up a lot of points a lot of offensive stats and yardage this year but I, I'm not sold that Justin Fields is this messiah that a lot of Ohio State people and even really a lot of national media people, mainly ESPN, are are crowning him as. Uh, you talked about the linebackers as well. Those three guys, Malik Harrison, Tuff Borland, Pete Werner, they were numbers two, three, and four in tackles. And it's very rare that you have all three linebackers in the top five. And these guys had them in the top four. So they were probably the most underrated 
group of position players on that defense last year. And I think that this defense was underrated last year overall. Granted, they were one of the worst off or uh, defensive uh, units from Ohio State from a production standpoint that we've seen in, in quite some time. But I think they're going to be one of the most improved defenses in the country this year. And I dare to say that their defense could match what their offense is in terms of their value. So I actually have Ohio State at number two, and I'm going to give you my rundown of them. And then I'm going to give you my number two team, which sure. uh, cats out of the bag is Michigan, because um, <laughs> I have a feeling that or I'm sorry. Ohio State's my number two team. Michigan is actually my number one team. So I'll get to them in just a minute because I have a strong hunch that they're going to be your number two in the East. But sure. here's here's how I see Ohio State. So first of all, um, you know, Ryan Day at, at Media Days talked about being tough. He talked about giving the players tough love, being tough physically, and handling tough situations. He thinks that those are the three things that are going to be the key ingredients for success, not only this year, but in his tenure there in Columbus. He realizes that they have a lot to prove. And he knows that he's in Urban Meyer's shadow. And one of the reporters asked him, do you still rely on Urban as a, as a uh, resource there because Meyer is working in the athletic department? And Ryan Day said, absolutely. He says Meyer is, quote, an unbelievable resource. But he also credits Chip Kelly even more. He calls him like a father figure. And both of those are, when those are your two mentors and when those are two guys that you're going to look to to try and build success at the college level, you really can't go much higher than those two. So yeah. offensively, uh, Ryan Day is going to team not only his offensive prowess that he ha brings, but he's going to team with Mike Yurcich, who comes over from Oklahoma State, a point producer in Stillwater, and then also Kevin Wilson, who has been producing prolific offenses from his time at Northwestern, Oklahoma, Indiana, and then even recently at Ohio State. So you're looking at three of the best play callers maybe in college football from a trio standpoint. They're going to form a great offense. Like you said, they're not going to have any trouble putting up points. I really like J.K. Dobbins. I think he's going to have a bang-bang bounce back here this year. He's going to be one of my all-Big Ten running backs. He's just a, a good combination of balance and power and then speed, and I put him in that order. I don't, I don't uh, look at him as somebody who's going to blaze trails and leave lightning in his in his wake but he's more of a guy who's is not afraid to lower his shoulder he's going to make you earn your tackle if you're going to try and tackle him the wide receivers speak for themselves you mentioned all of them i really like kj hill i think that he might be one of the leading pass catchers in the big 10 this year or at least certainly one of the guys that has the most amount of yardage but the problem is there's not a quarterback on the roster who was there last november so even ryan day talked about it that they're going to need some time to learn this offense. And I think we saw some of those struggles that Justin Fields experienced in the spring game. I do like their depth at quarterback with Gunnar Hoke behind Justin Fields. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, Ohio State goes as Justin Fields goes. If Fields goes down, what's going to happen? And I think a lot of people are losing sleep over that. They really shouldn't. You and I talked about Gunnar Hoke as being a really good quarterback at Kentucky. Now he comes back home to Ohio, where I believe he was a uh, Ohio player of the year, his senior year. And, you know, so they'll be okay there. Uh, they have, like I said, arguably the best all around offense in the conference, maybe in the country. That offensive line is going to be good once again, especially with the addition of Jonah Jackson, a transfer from Rutgers. They were third in pass efficiency offense last year, eighth in scoring offense, 11th in offensive yards per play, 17th in red zone offense. And I know that Dwayne Haskins was a big part of that, but you really can't expect too much of a drop off with Justin Fields. You know, again, he's, he, he's proven in high school that he's got the talent, but again, let's see it this year. Um, and, and you talk about, you know, the loss of Mike Weber. The word is, and, and what we saw in spring game, is Master Teague is a another physical back, just as physical as Mike Weber was. And Weber was kind of up and down with some injury problems. So if Master Teague can stay healthy and can stay on the field, he and Dobbins make up a, a great one-two punch for the Buckeyes. Yeah. Now, defensively, they bring back 85% of their defensive production from a year ago. And like you said, they're going to be headed not only by Greg Madison, but also by Jeff, Haff Jeff Halfley. Two very good defensive minds. Madison's going to run the show pretty much, but Halfley, I think, is going to take over that, that back half, so the back seven and really the pass defense. So they were 15th in sacks a year ago and should have the Big Ten's most feared sack man in Chase Young. I agree with you. He's an All-American written all over him. In my opinion, one of the most feared defenders in the Big Ten Conference. What they need to shore up, though, is their red zone defense. They were 114th a year ago in stopping teams from scoring inside the twenty. 
They were upper middle level on defense in most categories last year, but got better towards the end of the season. And again, I think that the addition of Madison is going to pay huge dividends for the Buckeyes. Where I see them losing a game, though, is, you know, so I have Ohio State finishing at 11 and 1, but that one loss is going to come in Ann Arbor. And here's why, Bip. I think that they get past Nebraska and Michigan State, obviously. I think they get past a tough night game on Friday night at Northwestern. Then they go to Wisconsin the next week, like you talked about. But playing Penn State the week before Michigan is going to be, I think, too much for the Buckeyes to handle, especially when they're going into Ann Arbor undefeated. I think Michigan is already going to have one loss coming into that game against Penn State. And when those two teams meet in Ann Arbor, it's a big game for Jim Harbaugh, probably the biggest game he's going to need to win in his career in Ann Arbor, and I think he's going to get it done. Bip. So uh, that's going to segue me to my number one team in the East, and that is, yes, the Michigan Wolverines, who I think will finish 12-1, and 8-1 and one in the conference. So backtracking a little bit, I have Ohio State at 11-1, 8-1 in the conference, that one loss being to Michigan. Michigan goes 12-1, and 8-1 in the conference. I think that their only loss will be at Penn State in Happy Valley for the whiteout game. But that game comes, I believe, in Week 7, in enough time for them to re- re- rebound and regain control and be ready to, to play the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, I know Buckeye fans are going to start chiming in and saying, well, they haven't beaten us in however many years. They've lost 13 out of the last 14. I think they haven't won in like seven or eight years. But, you know, this is, uh, this is a new year. It's a different year. So here's what I see from Michigan. First of all, I think it's a big plus that they got Josh Gaddis and his fast tempo, no huddle, fast, fast, fast offense. They're going to have one of the best offensive units in the conference. They've got a good quarterback in a system that he can thrive in in Shea Patterson. And, you know, to pause here for a minute, Bip, there was talk from Harbaugh that both Shea Patterson and Dylan McCaffrey are going to get time at quarterback. What do you think about that? Do you think that that's wise? Because Patterson himself can throw and can run. I don't see the need to bring in Dylan McCaffrey unless the only thing I could see is to give defenses a change of pace. Sometimes just seeing a new guy or having to prepare for two guys, even if they're similar, um, can maybe throw some weaker defenses off. But what do you think about that whole thing about playing both of those guys? If I can quote in living color, hey, did it. Um, <laughs> right. I, 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 I don't see any benefit to any dual quarterback system. It's never right. really worked in the past. The only one that comes no. to mind is when Florida had Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. But even then, right. you knew Tim Tebow was essentially like a um, a Navy quarterback going in there. Right. He had no intention of throwing the ball while he was in the game. And I think if I'm a Michigan fan, this gets me a little worried about Shea Patterson because if things are going well and if the coaching staff, especially Josh Gaddis, has confidence in him as being the go-to guy, then what is the need for having a dual quarterback system when, like you mentioned, Shea Patterson was considered a dual-threat quarterback coming into college from high school. So I don't know what McCaffrey gives them outside of the fact that maybe he's showing a little more or maybe Patterson's not adapting to this offense as much. It makes me a little nervous if I'm a Wolverine fan. Yeah, and if and if it's the you know the the latter that you just mentioned, then yeah, that would be big reason for concern. And and I didn't even think of it from that perspective, Bip. That's why I love going to your wisdom. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. I just I don't I don't buy into the two quarterback system in today's college football and today's offenses. You know, in the old school, you know, 1990s and prior, when you had a clear cut pro style quarterback, and then you had a quarterback who quote could run. That might, you know, that threw off some defenses at the time just because offenses were not nearly as dynamic. But in today's offense, I mean, you pretty much have to have a quarterback who can throw, but also has a set of wheels on him well, as well, a la Sam Ellinger. So, especially with the offenses now, everything's so much about rhythm and timing. And are you really going to take out one of these guys if they go, you know, yeah. seven of eight and march down the field 70 yards through the air? Uh, just so you can, you know, switch things up on the opposing defense. <laughs> right, right. So, I know. I, and and I would worry more about the psyche of your quote unquote number one quarterback. So yeah, yeah, if if Patterson's in and he's given a breather, and Dylan McCaffrey leads two scoring drives, sometimes you get athletes, especially like Patterson, who's like, okay, I transferred from Ole Miss to come to Michigan. There was a whole deal about you know becoming eligible. We came short last year. I came back to. 
uh, win a championship, and now I'm being upseated by you know this legacy player. Uh, you know, where's his head going to be? And and that that kind of scares me as a as an offensive coach. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Michigan, you know, continuing on with their offense, they were ninth and third down conversions a year ago, fifteenth fewest tackles for loss. I mean, they've got the best offensive line. Not only in the Big Ten, but you know, certainly top five in the country, led by Ben Bredesen, John Runyon Jr., Cesar Ruiz. I mean, all five guys are are top notch, and so there's really no excuse for Michigan not to be an offensive threat, even though they're breaking in uh, a pretty green group of running backs. And and it'll be interesting to see. I think that Christian Turner and True Wilson will get the bulk of the carries in the first couple of games, and then they're going to sprinkle in Zach Charbonnet, get him used to things, and. You know, he'll get some carries against Middle Tennessee and against uh, Rutgers, you know, in week four to prime him for the heart of Big Ten season. You know, I know that they play Wisconsin in their third game, but by then I think that that passing game is going to be enough and Wisconsin won't have figured themselves out just yet. So I think that's a win for Michigan. But by the time they have to play Iowa for homecoming, they travel to Penn State, they play Notre Dame at home. That's when Charbonnet is going to hit his stride, and, and I, I think if, if he lives up to what his potential is going to be, that'll be a, a pretty good running back for the Wolverines. Um, you know, but defensively is where they're going to make their mark. Now, everybody knows how good they were defensively a year ago. I'm curious to see how their linebackers step in this year. Now, Devin Gill and Kalik Hudson are, you know, quote-unquote returning starters. Josh Ross steps in at middle linebacker, and, you know, even behind him, uh, you know they've got some depth there. They, uh, when you've got Don Brown at the helm, it's it, you know things are going to go well. But again, here's a stat that is probably going to shock everybody listening. Bit, do you know where the Michigan Wolverines finished in red zone defense a year ago? Um, as good as they were, throw out a number, even um, if it seems outrageous. Uh, I'll throw out an outrageous, an outrageous one that I think can go fiftieth. Uh, they were 129th out of 130 teams in stopping Yikes. teams inside the 20. That stat blew me away more than and In fact, I had to go back and look at it. I thought, no, there, I had to have copied this wrong. This was mixed up with, <laughs> um, you know, Rice or somebody like that. But no, the Michigan mm-hmm. Wolverines were the second worst team in stopping teams inside the red zone. Now, they only allowed teams to get there 30 times, but still, that's a number that's staggering and, and has to improve especially in, in crunch time games for uh, the Big Ten East, like Michigan State, like Ohio State, like Penn State. So um, special teams are going to be damn good, the best in the Big Ten. They actually have two all-Big Ten-style uh, kickers in Quinn Nordine and uh, Jake Moody. Will Hart is a great punter. Ambry Thomas returning kicks. Uh, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones returned one to the house as a punt returner last year. They're just going to be flat-out good. They've been 10th in recruiting the last four years. I think, like I said, they'll get their slap in the face against Penn State. They'll iron out the wrinkles. And then when Ohio State comes to Ann Arbor on November 30th, I think the Wolverines and Harbaugh finally get it done, and I have them playing in the Big Ten Championship this year. So that's my rundown on Michigan BIP. Um, I have a feeling that you've got them second in the East. That is correct, Chappie. Um, so, yeah, I have the Wolverines finishing second, but it's a little bit of a surprise maybe to folks out there. I have them finishing 9-3 and three overall, 7-2 and two in the Big Ten. And their losses, I have them coming after their first bye at Wisconsin. I think that's going to be a tough uh, game at, there at Camp Randall. I also have them losing at home against Notre Dame. And yes, feel free to let me know the homer bias on that one. But then I also have them losing at home against Ohio State and mainly the reason against Notre Dame and uh, Ohio State. I I think similar to your reasoning as to Ohio State losing against Michigan, the Notre Dame game comes uh, the week following their trip to Happy Valley to play Mm -hmm. Penn State. And um, Ohio State, I just think that I I can't trust Harbaugh until he shows me that he can show up in the big games. I can't Mm -hmm. trust that, uh, especially by the end of the season, what's that offense going to look like? Is is Josh Gaddis still going to have the keys to it? Has Harbaugh turned it over? Um, And I'm still questioning a little bit how that defense is going to round out after losing so much talent. So... um, Michigan last year finished with a similar taste in their mouth that they've seemingly had every year in the Harbaugh era in which the Wolverines look great in the middle of the season. But then when they played their rivals, uh, 
MSU include, or excluded last year. They just couldn't get the job done as they enter the offseason with lots of questions and, and yeah. some really restless Wolverine fans. So they lose no. lots on defense, as I mentioned. Uh, Winovich, Gary, Devin Bush, uh, David Long, but also Brandon Watson, uh, Tariq Kinnell. The defense also loses Greg Madison and Al Washington, and I'm, I want to see how much that affects. Now, uh, I love Don Brown, and I think he is the best defensive coordinator in the entire country, but losing two trusted um, defensive coaches like Madison and Washington, that's not going to be easy for that defense, I can't imagine. But Again, the cupboard isn't bare for the Wolverines as they reload with talent. Um, guys like Quiddy Pay, Josh Uche. I'm really excited to see Josh Uche this year because in uh, sort of reserve role last year, he had seven or eight sacks in very limited playing time. I think that he's going to be one of the top pass rushers in the entire country this year. Um, Carlo Kemp, Aiden Hutchinson. So I think that defensive line should be pretty good. Um, they have one of the better groups at both or at uh, all three. Uh, levels on the defense, defensive line, linebacker, defensive back, and um, as I mentioned, Don Brown coaching that uh, side of the ball again. So I think that they could be pretty decent defensively, but again, it's one of those we'll have to see it uh, first on the field. Offensively, as I mentioned, Josh Gaddis and his speed and space, there's a lot of buzz around that um, by by Wolverine fans and, and the media, but we got to see it happen because mm-hmm. Because he's never been a coordinator before. He's just been a position coach. So this is new territory for him. Yeah, and and the two biggest questions that I have about Michigan are at running back where lots of people are. There's a lot of buzz around Charbonnet, as as you mentioned, but he is coming off a knee injury, and he is a true freshman. So um, I, I, I just can't completely see that the Michigan running game is going to fall into place just because they have a highly talented freshman running back coming in because if he does have an injury or if he doesn't perform it up to standard, then they don't have a whole lot behind him um, or or running with him. So, uh, but if Harbaugh can let Gaddis do what he wants, Michigan could have the best offense they've had under Harbaugh. So combine that with the fact that this isn't the first time that Michigan has lost considerable talent on defense and still performed within the top 10 nationally. The next season, um, and and Michigan could be a real playoff contender, but I, I think... I think people are losing sight that, yes, they have Ohio State, Michigan State, and Notre Dame all at home this year, but they've never beaten the Spartans at home. They've never beaten Ohio State under Harbaugh, and their one contest against Notre Dame, they've lost as well. And all or, uh, two of those three teams, Notre Dame and Ohio State, I, I see as being uh, more talented and better teams going into the season. Um, so... I think the schedule sets up for them good on paper. I just think it's going to be tough for them to roll through without having more than, or fewer than two losses this year. Yeah, and I agree. The, the The big thing that sets it apart is I just really get this sense that Harbaugh is going to do literally anything it takes to get it done this year. And I think we're going to see a, a little nastier Harbaugh. I think we're going to see him be dirty in whatever ways you want to construe that. I don't mean that he's going to have his players play dirty, sure. but yep. you know he's not going to mince any words. He's not going to be political about anything. He's got it in his mind. I'm going to take out Michigan State by all means necessary, and I'm going to take Ohio State out by all means necessary. And you know, I I could see them losing to Notre Dame because they don't need to win that game. I mean, they really don't. They, right, right. If they lose to to Notre Dame, I and Penn State, but they go and they run the tables and they win the Big Ten, there's still an outside shot that they could flirt with a playoff. But to Harbaugh, I don't think he cares about playoff right now. It's about winning the Big Ten East and winning the Big Ten, which I think that they could do if they make it to the Big Ten Championship in Indianapolis. That's goal number one. College football playoff can work itself out uh, if you know things are crazy this year or can work itself out down the road. But, you know, he, he's got to beat Michigan State. He's got to beat Ohio State. He's got to get to Indianapolis. And I think that those things, those factors in, like I said, if he doesn't get it done against Ohio State this year, I don't see him ever getting to the top. And, and you know, we might see the last of Harbaugh in Ann Arbor this year if he doesn't do that. So, um, yeah, and, and this should be a good uh, showing to see what is more important to Harbaugh, winning or his ego, because he's got to push a lot to the side to give offensive control to Josh Gaddis. So if he can truly be hands off and just tell Gaddis to go for it and 
you know, just let, let things happen that way. Um, I, I think that's really his only option to win the Big Ten this year. So it'll be interesting to see because throughout stops in history for him, he's always kind of worn out his welcome. And it's been, by and large, because of his personality and that uh, alpha male mentality that he's always had. So so my question, so, so if your question at Big Ten Media Days would be, uh, Coach Harbaugh, what's more important to you, winning or your ego? His answer would be, uh, uh, we go. <laughs> so let's take it to number three bip who do you see finishing third in the east this year well third i see the michigan state spartans and i see them as having a better record than michigan overall but uh so having a 10 and 2 record but being 7 and 2 in the big 10 Mm -hmm. with their two losses being to ohio state and michigan right now looking at their schedule i do like the fact of where they play certain teams so um, they have Arizona state at home in their third non-conference game this year, which is going to be not an easy one, but having Arizona state make the trip to, um, East Lansing should help out the Spartans big time. They have, they're at Northwestern in week four, but as we know, Northwestern kind of stumbles out of the gate sometimes and gets a little bit, uh, takes a little while to get chugging in the season. Um, only in the first three weeks. I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I that's a playing at Ohio State and then at Wisconsin back to back is going to be difficult for them. But I see them taking um, one of those games at Wisconsin. They play Penn State, but that is that game is sandwiched by a bye each week. So I think that they come into that game refreshed, and then they it sets them up nicely. They have Illinois coming out of the bye, and then uh, directly after that they travel to Michigan, which I have Michigan winning. Uh, but then finish off the season with Rutgers and Maryland. So I think the schedule helps out the Spartans more than anything this year, but that defense is going to be by and large, the reason as to why they finish. So um, as high as I think that they will this year, it's that defense is going to be nasty. Uh, Kenny Willekes and Raekwon Williams are on the defensive line form. Maybe the best defensive end defensive tackle combo in the entire country this year, they return eight starters and that defense finished amongst the best in the country last year. And I think it could be even, more improved this year uh joe bocce josiah scott david dowell i think they'll all challenge for first or second team all big 10 honors and that defense is just going to be even more smothering than it was last year then there's the offense so (laughs) brian lewerke looked like he was the next big quarterback at michigan state in 2017 he got hurt about halfway through the season last year and was playing with a, a shoulder that seemed to be held together by paper clips and duct tape and when he was finally taken out, we saw what a dumpster fire that Rocky Lombardi could be. So uh, that combined with the fact that they don't really have any proven running back coming into this year, um, an offensive line that struggled last year, and we'll see if they have uh, an improved play uh, going into 2019. Um, those are my biggest questions there, in addition to the fact that they didn't shake up the offensive coaching staff at all. I mean, they're essentially going into this year into an indie race, driving a Pinto and just having rotated their tires. But <laughs> I think more than anything, if Lewerke can stay healthy this year, he's got the ability to be good enough, given how good that defense is going to be this year. He's got Cody White and Daryl Stewart, who are a couple good, talented receivers to throw to. Um, but again, it's all going to be cr- predicated on how uh, the health of Lewerke is this year as they didn't do much to shake up the coaching staff. So hopefully their play calling is a little bit different and a little more into the modern college football era. Um, but I think more so than anything, that defense combined with how that schedule lays out for them. I think the Spartans are in for a big bounce back year, Chappie. I agree. I, you know, Lewerke being hurt last year was probably 80% of their offensive struggles last year. Now the offensive line was, a big part of that. And so maybe I'll, I'll bring it down to 75% because that offensive line was about a quarter of their problems last year. Yeah. But 78% of that production returns. And I put production in quotations, air quotes, but you know, so they were awful last year. They can only get better. I mean, really they, they were yes. in the bottom five or 10 in almost every offensive category. So you have to expect some sort of improvement this year. And if not, then Every single offensive coach deserves to be fired, blackballed, and never be allowed in college football yet again. Uh, yeah, because remember, this is the team that only put up uh, six points against Nebraska last year. Right, Six yeah. points against Nebraska. Uh-huh, yep. <laughs> uh, 
So their rush offense and their pass efficiency offense were in the bottom four a year ago. But Lewerke is healthy, and he's got a chip on his shoulder, I think. I, I really think that he took a lot of this criticism to heart and taken it personal. And that guy is gutty. He's a competitor. And you could just tell there was something mentally and physically wrong last year. I should say physically and mentally because the physical injury was apparent, but you could see that it was between the ears a little bit as well. All the coaches and all the Michigan State insiders are saying that he has had a kick-ass spring winter workout. I mean, he has taken his leadership role to a whole new level. So we'll see how that pans out on the field. The run game seems to have a good set of backs this year. And I really like Anthony Williams, a freshman. You know, they've got Connor Haywood. They've got Ladarius Jefferson, who was really the 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 starter last year for all intents and purposes. Elijah Collins. Uh, I mean, they really go about five deep in that backfield, and they, and they're they're talented runners when when they've got a good line in front of them. So that's going to be the big question mark. That's going to be you know what a lot of this rides on. So the offensive line looks a little bit nastier in the spring than what they did last year. But again, everybody looks like gems in the spring, and really. You know that a lot of these defenses are told to kind of lay back a little bit because they don't want to get any the offensive players hurt. They want to develop some rhythm and whatnot, and it's really just a matter mm-hmm. of going through the motions. So uh, the offensive line, as, as confusing as they appeared to Spartan fans, statistically they were 38th in fewest tackles for loss last year and 54th in fewest sacks. And that's those are numbers that so many other teams would love to take even if they could just have – half of that production. So the O-line was actually better on paper than what they looked on the field. Wide receivers may be one of the deeper and more underrated groups in the Big Ten. You you hit on a lot of those guys, bit, but they've got some really good incoming freshmen as well. Jalen Naylor, who's from Bishop Gorman High School, he's nicknamed Speedy for a reason, Six foot, 212. He could be a guy that asserts his name this year as one of those players who could make a second or third team all Big Ten because of the fact that when the ball is in his hands and, and he gets to green, he's lightning. So uh, defensively, you know, when I was in Chicago this weekend, I was in the men's room, and it's a good thing I was standing at a urinal because Kenny Willickis and Joe Bocci came in to change into their uh, track suits. And let's just say if my pants were up, they'd be wet because, uh, I mean, these guys are just <laughs> scary walking in. And uh, I was I, I was savvy enough to give them a go green, and they followed with a go white. But, um, I mean, these two are, are the clear-cut leaders on that defense, especially Joe Bocci. I don't know why his name is not mentioned more in national linebacker talks. I mean, I know he's going to be a Butkus candidate, but he really should be in many people's top five. He's just that good of a middle linebacker. They returned six of their starting front seven, including all four D linemen, which you mentioned. They were first in rush defense, fourth in defensive yards per play, eighth in scoring defense, 20th in pass efficiency defense. And again, that was without Josiah Scott Um, and Xavier Henderson, who's, filling in at safety this year after Andrew Dowell graduates. I think that he's going to be better and maybe going to be one of the best safeties that Michigan State will have had in the last decade or so. And that's saying something considering what D'Antonio produces on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Special teams are going to be good. I think that Matt Coughlin is the best kicker in the Big Ten. Jake Hartbarger comes back, and he was one of the better punters until he got hurt last year. You know, we talked about that speed that they have on, on, you know, Jalen Naylor. I think that he'll get some touches in the punt return and kick return game. Connor Hayward is a dependable dependable guy returning kicks. Um, so, you know, there's the D'Antonio factor as well. I mean, if they can compartmentalize and avoid all the other MSU mess that was going on, I'm talking about the Larry Nasser debacle, this could be a team that could mess up the Big Ten, but they're going to need to steal one in Ann Arbor or in Columbus or, you know, I don't know that they need to win both. I think if they can get one of those two, the team that they beat could take care of business with the other team, and and you could get a situation where Michigan State could tie-break their way into Indianapolis this season. Um, they've been good in recruiting the last four years. They've been ranking 28th in uh, composite rankings. So I, I like Michigan State. However, realistically, I'm, I'm going to put them at 9-3 and three this season with their three losses coming at Northwestern, and that's not a homer pick. They The Wildcats have beaten the Spartans the last three seasons. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the last time they were in Evanston, it was that triple overtime thriller. But Pat Fitzgerald just seems to have D'Antonio's number. And actually, there were a lot of Michigan State writers at Media Days this past weekend who were asking Coach Fitz 
what are you doing? You know, what's your secret? What do you, why do you have this advantage over D'Antonio and the Spartans in recent years? And, you know, of course, Fitz was coy and, uh, you know, didn't really give away anything and, and politically talked his way out of it. But I also see Michigan State losing at Ohio State and at Michigan. But, you know, a nine and three, a strong nine and three record with six and three in the Big Ten. Bip. I have them third as well. Okay. Well, Chappie, who do you have coming in at fourth then? Well, number four, I've got the Penn State Nittany Lions, also at nine and three, six and three in the Big Ten. And this is a team, you know, all, all uh, momentum screeches to a halt when I look in their backfield. Okay. So they're replacing Trace McSorley and they're replacing um, Miles Sanders at running back. So there's some gaping holes at those two spots. And I know that there's a lot of, highly recruited and highly touted talent in the in the backfield at running back guys like Ricky Slade and Devin Ford, CJ Holmes, Journey Brown who was recently suspended, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um but you know, I just think that they uh they lack they lack that experience right now and when you put them up against Michigan, Ohio State and even Michigan State as well, I think that they lack that explosiveness on offense. Keep in mind also, they lost a lot of their wide receivers, and the receivers who might be the most talented on the team really didn't show up last year. And I know that Penn State fans have kind of made excuses here and there for guys like Justin Shorter and uh, Jahan Dotson, who came on late last year. If those guys can emerge, and if Sean Clifford is the guy at quarterback and truly is a good reason why um, Tommy Stevens uh, you know, transferred, then good for the Nittany Lions, but I just think that they lose too much in the offensive backfield. Their offensive line is, uh, is okay, but you know, they, they lost a couple in the transfer portal as well. They might be looking at playing some younger guys on that line in Mike Miranda and uh, Rashid Walker, but um, you know, they, they were 81st in the country in sacks allowed a year ago. They were 79th in pass efficiency offense, which means that even with McSorley and some of those receivers that they had playing last year, it wasn't the best passing game. So Ricky Ronnie is going to have to kind of retool and, and get them uh, performing at a higher level this year. Defensively is where they're going to make their mark. And I think that if they challenge and possibly even win the Big Ten East, it's going to be mostly because of their defense. I mean, you look down the roster, it starts with Micah Parsons, who was their leading tackler, really their MVP on defense, in my opinion, last year. Up front, guys like Yatur Gross Matos and Robert Windsor, Shaka Tony at defensive end. Jan Johnson is an underrated linebacker. He's a wrestler for Penn State and, and truly looks like it when he's out there making tackles sideline to sideline. And then their secondary is going to be a little bit underrated because of the fact that they graduate two key players. But Garrett Taylor was a great safety last year. John Reed was a, a potential shutdown corner. So, again, I, I like Penn State to be competitive this year, but not to compete with the big three ahead of them. I like them at 9-3. and three. Losses at Iowa, at Michigan State, and then at Ohio State. I do think that they beat Michigan in their whiteout game on October 19th, but it's not going to be enough to get them higher than fourth in the East. Bip, who do you have? I'm going to have to go with the Nittany Lions as well, Chappie. Um, like you kind of touched upon offensively, this could be a long year for the Nittany Lions as I'm not sold on whoever comes out of that uh, quarterback battle. But I do like their group of running backs. They're young, they're fast, and they could be one of the more well-balanced uh, groups of running backs in the conference. Ricky Slade, Noah Kane, Devin Ford, and the suspended Journey Brown, as you mentioned. I like K.J. Hamler a lot. I think he really came on well as a freshman last year as he averaged over 18 yards per catch while uh, recording over 750 yards. I think Justin Shorter has a lot of talent. If he can put that together, then that's a nice one-two punch for whoever wins that uh, uh, quarterback battle. Um, uh, Friermuth, the tight end, had eight touchdown catches last year as a freshman. So I think there is some potential on this offense, but I just don't trust um, the uh, the quarterbacks this year. And I think that this could be uh, definitely a, um, a a year back, a setback year for for the Nittany Lions. But uh, like you mentioned, the the, the biggest thing for Penn State going this year is defense, is they have some dudes on defense. Uh, Gross hmm. Motto, Robert Windsor on the defensive line. Micah Parsons, who's one of the most talented linebackers in the country, he's one of those guys that you don't normally tune in for a ton of defensive players, but he's someone that I will specifically stop and watch oh, Penn yeah. State game for because he is only a sophomore, started got his first start in their 11th game last year, so he hasn't even untapped his true potential yet. 
Cam Brown and, and Jan Johnson coming back on that uh, linebacking group should be one of the best uh, groups of linebackers in the Big Ten. John Reed, Garrett Taylor leading that secondary. I think the Nittany Lions could start off 6-0 and this year, but I think they stumble in that tougher second half of their schedule. I have them 8-4, and 5-4 and overall in the conference with their losses coming against Michigan at Michigan State, at Minnesota, and at Ohio State to yeah. finish fourth in the uh, in the East. Okay. Uh, you know, and the reason for our listeners why we spend a little bit more time on the Big Ten East is because, to me, it rivals, you know, it's, it's, it's second behind the SEC West. I just think that there's a little bit more talent in the SEC West. But, you know, each four of these teams warranted such discussion about them, Bip. So we'll kind of zip through five, six, and seven in the East. So uh, number five in the East, I have Indiana at seven and five, four and five in the conference. And, you know, what they have going for them is whoever's going to win that quarterback race is going to be a good, uh, you know, good thing for this offense because I think that it's Peyton Ramsey who should keep his job. And I'm, I'm really pulling for him personally that he is the quarterback for the Hoosiers. Um, they weren't outstanding on offense last year, but they didn't make a ton of mistakes either. They just need to learn how to finish. Tom Allen's excited about the new offensive coordinator, Kalen DeBoer, who comes over from Fresno State. He's given him total ownership of the offense. And Allen says that they are going to have an open quarterback competition between Peyton Ramsey, Michael Penix, and Jack Tuttle, who recently transferred from Utah. He spoke highly of Nick Westbrook, their, you know, what should be their leading receiver this year. The offensive line, led by Coy Crunk, has, uh, you know, is going to be better than people think. They bring back 78% of the offensive production from last year. They were really good on third down conversions. And a big part of that was because of not only Peyton Ramsey, but Stevie Scott. They also didn't suffer too many tackles for loss last year, which also is in part to uh, Scott. And they add in Samson James in the backfield there. And Reese Taylor is a dynamic athlete who can line up at running back, wide receiver. You'll also see him at a Wildcat quarterback this year as well. Defensively, they're turning the reins over to uh, Kane Womack, who, you know, Tom Allen basically says, I'm, I'm putting my trust in, in Coach Womack because Allen was dual head coach and defensive coordinator last year. He came here as a defensive coordinator, and that's where he was before he got the head coaching job. So, Sometimes that's hard to give up, but he says that he's going to focus more on being a head coach now and trusting his coaches to do the right thing. And he says, you know, basically you, you hire great people and you let them do their job. And that's the, the mark of all successful programs. So that's what he's going to try and turn to this year. Their defense though, was their Achilles last year. They weren't, they weren't great at stopping anyone on the ground or in the air, but they do bring back 77% of that production. So hopefully those guys for the Hoosiers sake, anyway, learn from that. They do bring back a really strong special teams unit. Uh, their kickoff guy, place kicker, punter, and then their kick returner all return. And then Wap Fillior, who is a playmaker at wide receiver, will get a chance at returning punts this year. They were good in the turnover game last year, 33rd in the country in turnover margin. And they've been better at recruiting. The last two seasons, they've had their number two and then their number one recruiting class in, class in school history, respectively. So, you know, we talked about a little bit. Indiana is really my watch out team in the Big Ten. It would not surprise me to see them as high as second in the Big Ten East if things go their way and if they earn wow. their breaks. Um, I'm not calling it, but sure. you know, I, I I would be really shocked if they won the East, but I wouldn't be shocked if they finished as high as second if they got a win over Ohio State or Michigan and then beat you know another team like Michigan State or Penn State and then the chips fell in in the way to where Indiana would kind of like be a tiebreaker second if you get what I mean. So. Yep, and and I like the Hoosiers to finish uh, in fifth as well. I don't have them as high as you do in the final win columns, as I have them going five and seven, two and six in the Big Ten. Um, I I think that I really like this Indiana team. I think they have a lot coming back. I like the receivers, Nick Westbrook, Donovan Hale. Whoever wins that quarterback competition, I'm with you. I'm partial to Peyton Ramsey, but if he gets beaten out by Michael Penix or Jack Tuttle, then that's going to be a heck of a quarterback competition and a deserving winner of whoever comes out on top. Um, I really like their group of running backs and Stevie Scott, Samson James, and they have a lot coming back defensively. Marcelino Ball, uh, James Miller, a lot's been talked about him coming out of the spring mm -hmm. um, at linebacker for the Hoosiers. I was just looking over their schedule and I, I couldn't quite pull the trigger on a lot of their toss up games. So I have them uh, beating Rutgers and Maryland for their two wins. I just couldn't take it upon myself to have them winning at Nebraska home against Northwestern at Penn state home against Michigan and Ohio state 
um, at Michigan State or at Purdue. But I'm with you. I think that how these schedules set up for both Ohio State and Michigan, I wouldn't be shocked in the least if uh, Indiana comes away with one of those games this year. Like you, I'm not going to call for it. But if it does happen, I'm not going to be um, you know running around screaming thinking that it was uh, some unbelievable thing to happen this year. I think the Hoosiers are a dangerous team, like you mentioned, uh, but I just couldn't uh, pull the trigger on on a few of their upset wins going into the season. Yep. And I actually have them, I have them beating Northwestern at home and I, cause I think that's their homecoming game to be, to be honest. Okay. But, uh, and then I have them winning at Purdue as well. I just think it was so close last year. And I think that mm-hmm. this is just a more talented team on the roster that overall for Indiana than Purdue. I mean, everybody's throwing in the Rondale Moore factor for Purdue, but you've got to have more than just number four, especially when everybody's exactly for him. So speaking yes. of Purdue, um, well, we'll get to them in a minute. <laughs> Wrong division. <laughs> um, my number six team, I have Maryland at four and eight, two and seven in the Big Ten. I, I again, Loxley is just going to have to prove it to me. I mean, great recruiter. I think that, you know, he, he talked at, at his press conference about this is his dream job. He grew up rooting for Maryland. It's his third stop in College Park, and he's hoping that third time's a charm. And he says, wherever you're at, you should maximize it. Well, he's going to have to maximize it. Now, what helped him is, I think Maryland is going to maximize on the transfer portal maybe more than any other team in the country, bringing in guys like Josh Jackson and Tyler Mabry, uh, Sean Savoy, who actually has been switched over to the defensive side, Keandre Jones, Shaq Smith. So you go down that list; those are a lot of four and uh, you know four-star type talents, and even someone like Tyler Mabry, who wasn't four-star, he was all MAC as a tight end last year yeah. and was in a very good, prolific offense. So. Good pieces on offense. They return most from last year. They get Jackson and Mabry on that offense. They have a a slew of running backs, but under Loxley's system, they're not all going to get a chance to shine like they did last year in the Matt Canada. So what sort of effect might that have on guys who are not necessarily the number one and two uh, in terms of touches? You know, Anthony McFarland should be the starter, but then you got guys like Tayon Fleet-Davis, Javon Leak, um, you know, they're – they're going to be vying for carries, and I just don't see that a, a running back com- by committee system is necessarily going to work under Loxley's offense. Offensive line gave up a lot of sacks and tackles for loss last year, so if these guys can't get it together up front, then it's going to be difficult for this new offense, which is not going to be a lot of motions and shifts like Canada was. So uh, defensively, this was their bugaboo a season ago, 117th in red zone defense. They were 113th in sacks, so they couldn't put pressure on in the backfield. They did do a good job, though, eliminating big explosive plays as they were 50th in defensive yards per play and just 46th in pass efficiency defense. So they kind of kept it to a minimum in terms of explosion, but once teams got inside the red zone, it was pretty much Swiss cheese for the Terps. I like those linebackers that they get in the transfer portal, um, but uh, I just don't know that this is going to be an edgy or good enough defense to keep them in games and allow that offense to use the firepower that they have the potential to have. To, to show, uh, especially up front. I just, you know, I'm like what we talked about in our last podcast. I'm an inside out guy as well, where you have to be good on both lines. And those are the two big weaknesses for Maryland on the offensive line and defensive line. So I like them again at uh, four and eight and um, two and seven in the big 10 this year. Bip, who do you have six? Well, uh, six Chappie. I also have the Maryland Terrapins. And for a lot of the similar reasons that you mentioned, I think that they just, they don't have uh, a ton returning offensively. Now you could say that's a good thing, especially in the position of quarterback and tight end where they do get Jackson and Mabry coming in. Um, Anthony McFarland, I'm interested to see how he does this year as he came on and was explosive at the end of the year, but he really kind of just had those two games. Now, granted, he was given a full opportunity to perform um, in the two games in which he rushed for over 200 yards towards the end of last season, but I kind of want to see what he can do over the entire season this year. Um, They took advantage greatly of the transfer portal, but again, you're getting kind of the cast off four and five stars. So how do they fit? as far as um, scheme and uh, attitude and what what kind of uh, value do they bring to the, the Terps this year. Uh, defensively, I like uh, Tino Ellis in the secondary, had 11 pass breakups last year, and they're going to have some good talent on both sides of the ball. But in looking at their uh, wins last year, 
They beat Minnesota soundly, but their other two wins in conference were Illinois and Rutgers, and they only scored a combined six points against Iowa, um, Michigan State, and Penn State. So looking yeah. at their schedule this year, I have them finishing sixth, going three and nine uh, overall, one and eight in the conference, with their lone win being against lowly Rutgers. Yeah. Um, so Yeah, they, they do have one of the tougher schedules, especially out of conference. I mean, Syracuse... Temple's going to be good, and that one's out in Philadelphia. Um, yeah, and even even the games that are supposed to be easier, you got to play at Rutgers, and and I'm sorry, but Maryland is not that far ahead of Rutgers to where going out to Piscataway, where they're celebrating the 150th year of being the birthplace of college football, that's going to be a game, and that might even be the Rutgers homecoming. I haven't looked, but um, that's going to be something that you know is not going to be a gimme for for the Terps. So, yeah, um, and. And even um, even their game, like you mentioned, at Temple, uh, playing against uh, Anthony Russo at quarterback, I really like him. I think that mm-hmm. could be a tough game for the Terps uh, as one of their seemingly uh, not a gimme win non-conference, but one that they expect to win for sure. Right, right. And so, so Jeffy, it's, it's well, I, I'm cutting you off here, Bip. It, it is clear yeah. who our number seven team is, and it's the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And I hate to say it that way. I mean, Rutgers gets pissed on so much. These are, I mean, I really like Chris Ash, and I really like these guys. I mean, uh, I had a, I had the chance to talk to the the three representatives from the from the Rutgers team, and these are just classy guys. You can tell that they are just wanting some sort of progress, and you know. While I hope for it for Rutgers and hope for them for their program, I, I hate to see a, uh, a program like this just get dumped on so much. But they, it's clear that they really they struggle in the Big Ten. I don't want to say that they don't belong, but they struggle. Um, offensively, they don't have a quarterback right now. I mean, it could be any one of those three guys, <laughs> Art Sitkowski, McLean Carter, the transfer from Texas Tech, or Johnny Lanigan, the transfer from Boston College. They do bring back 77% of their offensive production. But again, production is a term that we use loosely. Their best position on offense is at running back. They've got two guys, Raheem Blackshear and Isaac Pacheco, and they've got a couple other guys, two freshman recruits, and then another guy uh, who I believe is a redshirt freshman that Chris Ash is really excited about. They don't have any deep threat at wide receiver, though, and that's going to make it tough for these running backs to really get any sort of clearance because teams know that they can load the box and bring up safeties, and there's really no threat deep. Blackshear, their their leading rusher, was also their most productive receiver last year, so that kind of tells you how much of a, a lack they had it on the outside there at Rutgers. They were in the bottom 10 nationally in almost every offensive category. But the good news is they bring back the offensive coordinator who put them in those categories last year. And, and I say that because that's something that um, this is the first time I think in six or seven years that Rutgers has had the same offensive coordinator for the two years straight. So maybe last year he cut his teeth and this year we'll see some production out of them. I mean, Sitkowski was an IMG product, so you've got to think that he's somebody who's going to produce. He was a four-star guy, so it's, it's, time, it's time to start putting up. Um, defensively, they were respectable against the pass and in the red zone, but they lose six starters on that group. They, their linebackers are very talented. They do bring in Drew Singleton, a transfer from Michigan. Uh, you know, Tyreek Maddox-Williams and Tyshawn Fogg are, are the two bell cows there at middle or at strong side linebacker and middle linebacker. And they've got a pretty good secondary BIP, even though they lose uh, two safeties from last year. I like Avery Young and I like Damon Hayes. They form a, a pretty good pair at corner. Special teams out of necessity and circumstance is actually the strength for Rutgers on their whole team. Just get a lot of practice. Right, exactly. So <laughs> Davidovich was 9 of 11 with a long of 52 yards. Adam Korsik, an Australian punter, netted 40 yards per punt last year. And all three return specialists are back. And Chris Ash has always put a big emphasis on special teams. So this group could be good. and could be the difference in a close game, like maybe against Maryland when they host the Terps. Um, but they need to cut down on their penalties. Too many mental mistakes out of frustration, I'm assuming. And recruiting has been okay, but when it's 57th in the country. And when you consider there's 65 Power 5 teams, um, you know, finishing 8th from the bottom is, is nothing to brag about, Bip. So uh, what are your thoughts on Rutgers quickly before we go to the West? Uh, touch upon many of your points that secondary should be good again, as they were in the top quarter of the country last year in uh, opposing completion percentage. Um, but the offense, if they can't, um, 
I think they just need to run, 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 turn into uh, kind of the army navies of the of the world in the Big Ten without running the triple option because quarterback yeah. play was so bad last year. Art Sikowski had three games last year in which he completed under 40% of his passes, had four touchdowns to 18 interceptions, and in his game against Maryland, he was two of 16 for eight yards and four picks were thrown. So... <laughs> as highly talented as someone can be, I don't know. He doesn't strike a whole lot of confidence that there's going to be much improvement. Now you can't no. get much worse than what he was last year, but I'm sure Rutgers fans are tired of saying that year in and year out. So I think right. that uh, it is unfortunate because Chris, because uh, Chris Ash seems does seem like a good guy and like um, he's he's better than what the Rutgers job is affording him, but mm -hmm. uh, someone's got to finish last and man Rutgers does it in, in grand fashion. <laughs> Here's have, an interesting. So, oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I, I had them finishing two and 10, Oh, and nine in the big 10. Okay. Yeah. And I don't think I gave my record. I have them two and nine. Yeah. Oh, and nine in the big 10. So we're in agreement there. And here's something to consider when army comes to Ann Arbor and plays Michigan, I, I, if I'm Rutgers, I would send out some uh, undercover personnel to scout Jeff Munkin because that could be a good guy to bring over to Rutgers if you yeah. say that Chris Nash is done because I think that the triple option would work perfectly at a place like Rutgers and would give a school like Rutgers more of a fighting chance than what they're trying to do with a pro-style offense that they, they have right now. So Because they, they can't run the spread, really, because you're just not going to get the athletes to run the spread at Rutgers. But if you could bring in a triple option type offense like Jeff Munkin could bring from Army and the discipline. And like I said, I think he's actually on pace to be better than Paul Johnson was and Ken Niamatololo. I think that that could be a, a great possibility for the Scarlet Knights next year. But speculation, of course. Very interesting thought, Chappie.